Well, indeed, I trust that uh, you'll be able to make the block party in just a couple weeks. We are looking forward to that. Invite your friends, family members. Um, we knew uh, that you needed to get. Oh, we knew that you needed to get a. Um, excuse me. Um, address, so that's on the card that was in your seat, and we will um, have a good time. It's a chance for you to get to know some people, to hang out, and uh, just sort of start to finish out that summer run if your kids are in school and they're heading back to school in August. We are uh, glad to be able to also offer the opportunity for baptisms at um, uh, the pool party and the block party, and if you have never been baptized to declare that you have become a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, then I would encourage you on the back of that Connect card that you've heard all this about, there's a place that says, I'm interested in baptism, and I'll be glad to follow up with you personally and share with you more about what that is. But uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was baptized, and scriptures teach that after you become a follower of Christ, that that is a good way to give not just public declaration, but also seal that commitment in your own life. And I know for me, I wasn't baptized until a couple, three years, uh, a few years after, actually, I made a commitment to Jesus, and I always felt sort of awkward and bad about that, and should I be baptized or not? People think, oh, I thought he was a Christian all along, but when I was uh, pushing back against the adversary's voice, and I decided to step into that obedient step of baptism, there was something that sealed that commitment of me following Jesus Christ uh, in a public manner that uh, some other things had never done as I related to maybe even some of the doubts of my salvation and that kind of thing. So I just want to just personally say to you as pastor, seriously consider, if you've never been baptized, believer's baptism. Some people are baptized as infants, and that's great. The parents wanted maybe to uh, just sort of commit you to God. But believer's baptism is where you're baptized, you're immersed in water, dead to the old life, raised to the new life, post your belief in Jesus. And so uh, just mark that. Be glad to follow up with you on it. We're in a series. Our series comes out of this book here. This book here has many books in it. Some of the books that are in this book, the Bible, are letters. Some of those letters were written by people that walked with Jesus. One of those individuals was the Apostle John. John left us his gospel, the story about Jesus. But then John also left us three letters that he wrote to some Christians concerning how to live the Christian life and also pushing back against the spirit of the age. The letter that we've been in, and I'll just be honest with you, it's taken a lot longer than I thought it would when I first stepped into this series on 1 John called Light and Life. But the letter that we're in is truly a powerful letter for each and every person that's here today or if you're watching online. And whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ or you're just trying to figure the God thing out and if there's a place, the words that are in this book, that are in the book of 1 John, which is a letter to Christians pushing back against the spirit of their age, are words that you need to open up your ears and your heart to this morning. I want to read for you the section that we're going to be in, and then I want us to pray that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and apply it not only to our heart, but also change and transform us. We are in desperate need today 
of transformation in our lives, in our families, and in our worlds. And we need to come with a spirit of expectation. With that, I'm actually going to ask you to stand again for the reading of God's Word and for us to pray. You can turn in your own scriptures, or maybe you have it on an electronic device, but listen to these words. We are now beginning chapter 4 of the book of 1 John, written by the one who walked with Jesus in his latter years when he was 90. He wrote these words. Dear friends, do not let every spirit, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Let's pray. Spirit of truth, may you help us this day in these moments as we look into this ancient letter that has contemporary potency. May you, spirit of truth, help us to identify truth and discern falsehood. And may you allow it to quicken our minds our hearts, and our lives to live more fully alive in you, Christ, as you desired for us to be. So to that end, we pray your anointing and your blessing upon this word. Guide your servant as I walk through this text, Lord, that um, is actually quite tedious. But Lord, you know what the Apostle John was referencing May you impart that truth to us for our enlightenment and our transformation. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you like to take tests? Maybe it's been a long time since you took a test. I'm not talking like your driver's test, that kind of thing. I mean, go back to when you were in high school and you were in college and there were tests, right? And uh, there are different kinds of tests. Well, yay, nay, if you like tests or not, which kind of test did you prefer to take if you took a test? Did you like the uh, uh, multiple choice? Did you like the matching? Uh, did you like the fill in the blank, right? Did you like essay tests? How about those? When they started to spring those on you, like, oh, my goodness, I don't know, how is that? And some of you are teachers, and you probably have uh, different kinds of tests that you prefer to grade, Right? Well, there's a certain kind of test, believe it or not, that appears easy, but for me, I always got tripped up more with this kind of test than other kinds of tests, and that was the true and false test. Have you ever had trouble with true and false tests? I mean, here's the reality. Those statements that they write for true and false tests are written so that they trick you. Not to just get information back and do you know your stuff. They're written to trick you. And the best false question 
or statement is one that is 90% true. Because if it's only 90% true, then it's still 100% false. You know what I'm saying? So we're tra- challenged sometimes with true and false. I know it was uh, true of me uh, with my SAT. I was uh, you know, blessed by God to be able to graduate towards the top of my class in high school. And I remember taking the SAT, and I f- sort of bombed the SAT test at least is what I thought I should be getting on it compared to maybe where I was at in class rank. And, and so I took it again, and, and I got worse the second time than the first time. And part of the reason, I think, was some of the true and false that they had on there at the time. You know, you don't get it back to sort of grade and check and see how you did on it. But I never really scored great on the SATs, though I had a high GPA in college and everything else. But I'm like, okay, why is it that I get tripped up with that? And I think it's because I overanalyze true and false questions. Are you there with me? Scrutinize them. Well, what did the word the mean versus a, right? Or that could be true in some situations, but it may not be true in other situations. And that's just how my brain works. I'm trying to do the 360, working at it from all angles and trying to figure it out. So just give me the fill in the blanks or the multiple choice. I know they're not as tricky, right? So today, tomorrow, this week, this summer, this fall, Every day of your life, you are in a testing room. Did you know that? And the testing room is filled with true and false questions. It's called the world. There are statements being said. There are propositions being put before you. There are uh, narratives that are being framed. And all the time, you are taking this in. And a lot of times, if you see somebody who's supposed to be an expert say it, or maybe you read it from something that's credible, you start to assume that that is true. When the reality is, it may not be true, it may be very false. Oh, it's not all bad, right? 90% of it could be true, but in the end, it's a false statement. It's a false narrative. It's a false direction. And we live in a culture with the modern internet and social media where we are being bombarded all the time with content, information, positions of thought. So much noise in one sense, that we just want to turn it off and just escape away from it all. But we can't. This is the day and age in which we live, and it's not just you, it's your children and your friends as well. How do you discern between what is true and what is false? A lot of things are going on in our world today where I pause and I think to myself, Hmm, that's interesting. I guess that's one way to look at it. Or I'll see other things and I go, wow, that's really off. Now, other times there's things where I say, hey, that's spot on. I'm just trying to have discernment in here. And sometimes it's really easy in our culture when you see that things are off or things are false or things are fake, however you want to describe it, where you get indignant and you get upset 
And sometimes your frustration turns towards the person who said it, the individual who's propagating it, the person who's the the professor in the room, or maybe they're the politician behind the lectern, and and you you get frustrated. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that that which you're viewing and hearing and becoming frustrated by, do you believe that there might be, there might be something more going on? I'm here to share with you today that that passage that we read out of 1 John, that letter, is John telling you and I, yes, there's something else that's going on. And hopefully, today, in a reflection on that passage, is going to encourage you not to get your dander up, uh, that's sort of a Midwest term, I guess, in a bad way, and get frustrated, but to turn that frustration to active participation with God and His kingdom and what's happening in our world today. Because as it was said in the last song we sang, Pastor Zach made reference to it. Friends, we are in a battle. And this battle will not end until Jesus Christ himself returns again. And so we have to reckon that not only are we in a battle, but that God is at war. Now God has won the decisive battle. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the enemy has been defeated. But the enemy has still broadcast in Scripture as a roaming lion seeking who he may devour. And maybe you've seen uh, some devouring situations happening around you in your world, or maybe it's true of your life this morning and the brokenness or the, the brokenness that might stand before you in your family, your life. There's something more going on. Something more going on. And what the Apostle John says is that we are to test the spirits. Test the spirits. I find it interesting with social media today. You know, there's, you know, anybody can be a publisher or a broadcaster today. Isn't it true? You just need to get yourself a blog, or you maybe need to proliferate well on Facebook. Some of you are actually probably watching this on Facebook, a live stream kind of thing, and you're like, well, yeah, there's a, there's a broadcaster. Carrie, you're coming live onto my phone or in my uh, living room right at the moment. Anybody can do it. You get your own YouTube channel. You can get a following. And it's not necessary for you to have a degree, for you to be a wise person. You may just be a charismatic person. And so these are some of the things that are bombarding coming at us, and we have to discern right or wrong, true or not true. And part of us may think, well, it really doesn't matter, but here's reality, it does, because it starts to seep into us and establish our view of the world and our lifestyle that we live from that worldview. But the Apostle John didn't have the internet. He didn't have bloggers. He didn't have YouTube channels or stars. They didn't even have broadcast television. They didn't even have the radio. They didn't even have uh, telegraph. They had messengers that would run around, and the message that we have right now is a letter that was delivered by hand to a group of Christians and passed around to different churches. But things were the same then. There were lies going out. 
there were people standing on the street corners and declaring things, or people that were uh, actually probably even maybe a part of uh, some of the public square arenas, maybe even in the synagogues. There was error that was being put out. And John steps in and says, enough of this. We got to realize that in this world, there is not just, you know, fake news or false statements or uh, erroneous information. There is false prophecy going on. Now, a prophet is one who speaks to people on behalf of God. A priest is one who speaks to God on behalf of people. Jesus became our great high priest, so we don't have to go to a priest. We go to Jesus. He is our great high priest, it talks about in the book of Hebrews. But in Scripture, there are prophets that are raised up at different times to speak on behalf of God to the people. And it's not necessarily a foretelling of future events, though prophetic words in Scripture from the prophets of old uh, do predict the future, like Christ's coming. But a prophet foretold. He foretold truth, foretold what God would want to speak to his people. And John was sensitive that in his culture, in his day, with all the true and false questions and tests that were going on, that the people's ears were being attuned to false prophets. And these false prophets were saying things like, Jesus Christ uh, didn't come, uh, God himself didn't come in a bodily form. And we've seen that earlier in Scripture, uh, in this particular letter. You know, remember the new beginnings, the things from the beginning. That there's a lot that he's pulling back, but here he takes a pause, sort of a, a parenthetical time, uh, sort of a little bit of a cul-de-sac experience in a greater discussion on love. And we'll be jumping into the love more here in, in, in the coming weeks. But he does this parenthetical thing, and he says, Beware! There are false prophets, and these false prophets are telling you lies. And these lies are leading you, your families, and your children away. But he doesn't just warn them. He states to them that they need to impose a test to push back against all the lies and the prophecies. And the test is a test of the spirits. Because he knew there was more going on than just that person in the public square who was trying to make a statement. Do you remember when Jesus was trying to unpack with his disciples about his future, and, and they weren't really understanding it, and they got fearful, and, and Peter started to, to dial in and go, I think, I, is he really saying that? I, I think that Jesus is saying that he's got to die. That, that's not the Messiah. This, the Messiah was supposed to be this person who established this, this uh, physical, uh, political reign, a military reign, maybe even push back against the Romans. I've got I've to say something to him. Hey, Jesus, you're wrong. You can't be doing that. And what did Jesus do? He wasn't very nice about it. He looked at Peter, but I think he looked through Peter's eyes and he said, get behind me, Satan. I don't know. Jesus say that to me physically in person? I'd crouch away and go, I'm sorry, that kind of thing. But he loved Peter. 
He reinstated Peter after Peter even denied him. But Jesus was mindful that, mindful that there was something else going on behind the false statements, behind the fake news, behind the false prophecies, that there is an adversary and he is working to bring destruction into the world through the thoughts of men and women and children. And we grab a hold of those thoughts. And then we start living by those thoughts. And then those thoughts lead us. The thought leads to an action. And the action leads to a habit. And the habit can lead to destruction if it's all in that tier of falseness or sin. So this passage is pretty important. This passage has become a passage in my personal life that has gained far more depth and significance and power than I probably have a full opportunity to unpack today. And maybe it's best that I don't. But I saw the passage coming a number of weeks ago and I just prayed to the Lord that He would take these words in the right manner to instruct us as Christian believers, whether here or online or watching this later on, and that He would take these words if you're a non-believer to open you up to more truth in this world and that you wouldn't see these words or even my passion and my heart from it as weird or wacko because I fear that way. If you don't take this passage to the depth that it needs to go, then I believe it grieves the heart of God as well as the Apostle John because he was trying to bring a warning to his day and age. With that, let's take it one sentence at a time. Dear friends, 1 John 4, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets, pontificators, fact-checkers even, have gone out into the world. Dear friends, he's endearing himself to him. And he would endear himself to you if he was here in person. Jesus endears himself to you. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. You see, it's important for Christians to believe the right things, right? If you're going to be a follower of Christ, then you need to believe that Jesus Christ was who he was. His death, his resurrection, right? We often, you know, I stand up here, right, every week. Believe this, believe this. But the Christian is also exhorted to have unbelief, to have non-belief in the things that are not true. And so you have to weigh the true and the false test here. In, what's in the world, what is true, what is not true? What is to be believed, what is not to be believed? And then he says what you need to do is, you know, get out your book, sit down and study it really hard. Get some focus groups together to get popular opinion to find out maybe what's rising to the top because that's how we determine truth today is what majority opinion might be or, or maybe the most novel wokeism kind of direction. You know, that's how we're sort of going to get a feel for what needs to be. And, and you may say, oh, you're a little facetious there, Carrie. No. Do you realize the number of people, maybe you grew up in a different day and age, who are at loss for trying to know how to 
find what is true. And what he says here is he goes beyond the apparent statements of the prophets. And he looks deeper into the eyes of it. And he says, you need to test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so how do you and I test the spirits? How do we impose things back on this true and false testing that we have every day in our world? And he says this, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God or the spirit of truth. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. This would be the spirit of truth. How do I know if what's coming from this direction is of truth or not? Now, it doesn't mean that someone has to fully believe that to make truth statements because God's truth is universal and even reason itself can step back and go, that's true and that's false in our world. But if you're trying to dial in and discern whether a, a subject matter, whether a statement or a narrative or some type of particular belief that's being positioned in your culture, in your personal life, is true, true, then you've got to look at the source from which it's coming from. Because even people today, and I'm mindful of this because I'm a communicator up in front of you, how critical it is for me to be established and walk in peace and righteousness of Christ. Because me as a communicator, anybody who's trying to articulate what truth is or something that reflects reality, is influenced in ways that they're not even mindful of. Some of the people you're frustrated with by some of the lies that are put out in your culture, they don't even know that there's a spirit of the adversary, a false spirit, false spirits, plural, that have begun to articulate things into their brains, into their minds and their discernment that are false. Whether you call them pawns or just innocent bystanders, I don't know. But they are being controlled by something else many a times other than them in their own righteousness. You know, a lot of times this whole movement towards error happens when you go to college and universities. Universities used to be about trying to perceive and find truth, right? And then bring things together, unity in diversity. That's not what's happening in a lot of modern secular education today. And you have to discern in those places, where's this coming from? And it's not to throw someone under the bus or to look down upon them. But if this person does not have the worldview that believes and acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and that is from God, then there's a good chance that there's more faults coming out sometimes than there is truth. And you need to know that. When you send your kids away to college, you need to prepare them for that. We're prayerfully discerning how to, to sort of reestablish and get student ministry anchored and to have student ministry anchored in some ways that, that, have maybe, uh, that are needed in our culture today because of what's going on. Because you send them out with their bags packed, you think all the clothes and all the night's dishes or other kinds of things they need for their dormitory room, but what are you sending them out with packed in their bags to encounter the false truth that's going to be thrown their direction? They need to be able to discern this. And so it begins with understanding the mindset, 
the heart and the belief of where the statements are coming from. And John's just real clear. You test the spirits. If they recognize that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and is from God, then you're good to move forward from there. The, today's um, passionate translation says this. Here's the test for those with the genuine spirit of God. They will confess Jesus as the Christ who has come in the flesh. Now, that seems like a straightforward statement to you, but you need to understand this. There are a lot of people that do not believe that statement. Jesus was a nice person who established some good uh, moral codes for his people. Jesus, though, was his earthly name. He was God himself. He was the Christ, the long-promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He was sent from God. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He walked on this earth. It was God in a body. And when you acknowledge that Jesus was God in a body from the Father, then you're starting to move your way to be able to have the framework by which you can speak truth. Has he come in the flesh? Did he walk among us? And John was up against this in his day and age. And like I said, it wasn't being put out there on social media. It was being broadcast from home to home to home to home. People were getting around and saying, what are you saying? Where are you guys going? you got to test the spirits. What's behind this to see? And here's how you test the spirits. You know, you need to acknowledge um, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Now, the test that you need to impose for all the voices that are around you today is summed up in what you just saw. And the first is this. Is the individual, is the context of which something is being spoken, acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, God the Son who came in human flesh. He wasn't just a great, nice person, but he was God himself. Is that true or false? That's where you start. That's part one is the acknowledgement of it. But you know what? The Scriptures teach that even demons acknowledge that Jesus Christ uh, was God. That's why it goes on. It's really saying behind that, and the word confess is so critical because confess is personal. You need to confess it personally, which means a commitment of one's life to Christ by trusting in this truth. There are probably some here today, some watching online, where you would say, yeah, number one, I'm there. I acknowledge that Jesus was even God in the flesh. But say, so what? Even the demons believe. But it's number two. You have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and come in the flesh. And that's a commitment of one's personal life. You see, what happens in that moment, when you commit your life to follow Jesus Christ, radical transformation happens, right? They call it regeneration. The dead come to life, right? We say at the awakening, we want you to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. What happens? Well, you're dead, you're flatlined, Christ comes in, you become quick and you become alive. That does not happen until you cross the line of faith and you say, I confess Jesus as my Lord and I will follow and serve him. And in that moment, you are born again, Scripture teaches. There's radical transformation. And you've seen it maybe in your own life. You've witnessed it in others. People that were headed down the wrong way. And God radically turned their life around. And they became a whole different person 
from what they knew. We can bring several up here and give you testimony on that this morning. Right, bro? The confessing part is critical to this test. So what you're listening, what you're hearing, what's coming from the false prophecies or the things that could be perceived as false, you have to give this test. Did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, God himself come in the flesh. And if so, have I confessed that? You see, there's a lot of error today, not only in the world, but also in religious institutions. If you were to take a look at the cults today, how would they measure up? Or well, you wouldn't even maybe think of them as cults or sects, all right? But Orthodox Christianity believes these statements here. Error goes against these. Let's take Christian science. Some of you are familiar with Christian science? You hear a banner, what's that all mean? Well, Christian science people would say Jesus was not God. In fact, Jesus was born, and at his uh, baptism, uh, a, a spirit of Christ came upon him. And so he had all these teachings, which were really good teachings. And then somewhere before he went to the cross, that spirit of Christ lifted from him. And so he just died as a human being on the cross. And so what's really important isn't really much about the life of Jesus. It's about those teachings. So let's try to work our way around and make them sort of sound good. And part of the false teaching that comes about in our world today, and it's interesting because here John positions this testing of the spirits in a subject of love, is because a lot of the false teaching today is wrapped up in the garb. <laughs> let's love one another Let's be nice. Let's be kind. Let's just get along with one another. Friends, God's at war, and there's a battle going on in the unseen realm. And we are called to love, and we'll be talking about that as we move on through this letter. But here's the reality. A lot of false doctrine and false teaching is wrapped up in nice, warm fuzzies. And you have to discern it. What about Mormonism? Does Mormonism believe this? Do you even know? Church of the Latter-day Saints, maybe some come from that background. You're watching a line. You're trying to get things figured out. Well, this is good. Go back to your religious leaders and press them on this. Test the spirits to see if they are from God. They will say that Jesus is the Son of God, that, that He, he uh, died and that He is our salvation, but they do not believe that Jesus was God Himself from all times. They do not believe in the Trinity of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one, and the teaching of that. They do not believe that Jesus Christ came as the incarnational presence of God Himself. There would be belief that He was born of God. Sort of born of God like uh, Jesus here on earth was born of Mary. God begat him, and, and Jesus became God, just like you can become God. And a lot of times you don't see that error and that teaching up front. You have to peel back the layers and go, what, what, what's here, right? You can go down the road of some other, other kinds of variant things of teaching Christianity, Jehovah's Witnesses. What, what, what do they believe about Jesus? Do they believe that Jesus Christ was God come in the flesh? Oh, no, that's horrendous. Uh, we, we don't believe in that three-God thing, you know. Jehovah was the Yahweh, Scripture, Old Testament, and Jesus was 
a God-like person that we need to revere his teaching as those kind of things. But I, I just, I, I don't have time to go into all that. that. That's on the Christian side of things, or the, I shouldn't say the Christian side, on the religious side of things. And you bring in some of the, the modern teachings of postmodernism and other things that are in our world, and it's just bombarding this true and false test, true and false test. How do I discern with this? Friends, you are never, ever wrong to go back to this establishing of the principle of who do you think Jesus is? You may be fearful to talk to anybody about your faith because you're going to be asked a question you don't know. Well, let me tell you this. If you take the conversation back around to who the person of Jesus Christ is, you're going to be in good stead. And now they may ask you, well, you need to prove that, right? And we can go down those paths of, of how Scripture unpacks that. But friends, we live in a culture with so many voices that it's become noise and it's overwhelming. And so we just give up in this relativistic world and said, everybody just needs to be nice and be kind to one another. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me, and we're all fine. Friends, the reason we're in the problem we're in today, and you're seeing the direction of even our nation, is because we are not adhering to biblical truth that's anchored philosophically, eternally, and pragmatically in our everyday world. Test the spirits. Don't be caught slumbering. Just giving off, oh, whatever, I go to church, that's sort of nice. Study God's Word, because this is the truth. Verse 3, he shows the other side. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Now, we talked on this a few weeks ago, this whole subject of the Antichrist. There is the Antichrist who will come in the end times, who will be ultimately thrown as beast, thrown into the lake of fire. But there are many Antichrists today because Antichrist means opposed to Christ, opposite of Christ, pushing back against Christ. And John's saying there are many who have the spirit. We're not just talking some aura. Oh, I just, they sort of seem to glow when I come across them. No, we're talking literal spirits, entities that exist. And there is a spirit of the Antichrist that is behind so much of the false teaching and direction that goes on today, which you have heard is coming into the world, is now already in the world. I need to pause here because this is where this whole subject matter might go a little weird for some of you. Some of you know that I've been involved uh, for a number of years in ministry that deals with trying to discern spirits. I come from a Midwest farm area, conservative. At no time in my life did I ever want to be drawn into the kind of ministry I participated in over the last 35 years. It's not a shingle I hang out, but I've dealt with a lot of people over a number of years, who have had something more than just false teaching hitting their ears. And it has to do with the spirits themselves that are behind that teaching. I mentioned to you last week, if you were here, that I was getting my hair cut a week ago, and, and the barber young guy is talking to him, and, and he asked me what I was doing on July 4th. I said, well, a little bit of this, go see fireworks. And I just decided to say to him, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching. I'm a pastor. That's what I'm going to do on July 4th. Oh, you're a pastor. What's the difference between a pastor and a priest? 
And so that gave me some context, tried to unpack it. And then he goes, well, which one do the exorcisms? And I go, oh, well, this is sort of now taking a, a new turn. And I said, well, um, I don't believe necessarily there is an office of exorcist in the Catholic Church, but um, if you're talking about seeing people come to freedom that have been plagued by unclean spirits as deliverance, and that's freedom, it's found in Christ, and yeah, I've actually been involved in deliverance work for a lot of years. And uh, then he had all kinds of questions, right? I'm like, oh, okay, I hope everybody's not tuning in in the other chairs. Like, who's that barber got in his chair? But do I hide in the shadows? Do I fear? You can't read through scriptures. My wife, Melissa, was reading this last week in scripture. She says, Carrie, listen to this. You know, this. And, and it was about the demonic spirits acknowledging who Jesus was. And they went scared. We know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. What do we do? Just skip over that? Oh, the person was just a little troubled. And maybe, I don't know, maybe they're a schizo or something. No the person actually was being used by a spirit to proclaim acknowledgement. And demons will acknowledge, but they don't confess. So what do we do? We jump over that? We do it as a church? Oh, that's only in mission fields. I, I, I had a professor of a Christian university once articulate, um, and I was working in college and career ministry, he says, oh, there's not a demon within 50 miles of here. And I'm like... Oh, so that's just over in places like Thailand, right, or something, right? It's like, oh my gosh, are we that ignorant as practical ministry professors even? And it's because I believe, one, and this is what happened with the guy that was my barber, he started articulating these things he's seen on what? Movies in Hollywood. <laughs> and I go, it's not like that at all. I suppose weird can things can happen if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't stay in Christ. But no, deliverance work is not like that. Well, in my deliverance work, I use this passage as my foundation. And it's called testing the spirits. There's different ways to do deliverance work, but I use this passage. We shared a few weeks ago about the battlefronts that we're up against. Ephesians says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you, and it's listed three things there in Ephesians 2, the ways of the world, the cravings of our flesh, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. It's very clear. This is the world we live. You are up against the mindset of the world, the sinful nature of the flesh, and direct attacks of the devil. And you overcome each of those in different ways. You renew the mind for the things of the world, faults, true kind of things. You choose to live in the Spirit according to Galatians to fight against the flesh, the cravings of the sinful nature. But when it comes to the devil himself and his workers, and again, just to give some context here, because I don't know where you're going in your mind right now going, where is he going? <laughs> Satan was the archangel Lucifer. There's Michael and there's Gabriel, two other archangels that were mentioned in Scripture. Somewhere, something happened before even the creators of the world. And Lucifer thought he should be worshipped or followed. He was cast out of the heavenly realms, which is the true unseen world that's around us. It's not way out there in outer space somewhere. And he was cast to this earth. And he took, seemingly, Scripture says, maybe a third of the angels with him. 
They're called fallen angels or dark angels. These are actual entities. And these entities are the ones that wreak havoc on behalf of Satan because Satan is not the opposite of God. God is immutable. He's unchangeable. He is omnipresent, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. We have this sort of yang for yang thing going on these days, like, oh, the great white, you know, good forces and powered against the evil forces. Well, there is good against evil, which mentioned earlier here today, but the evil is not omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. He's a created being, and he can't be everywhere at the same time, but all of his workers can it's a fallen kingdom. It's a messy kingdom. I've gotten involved in articulating and dialoguing with this kingdom some, and I'm like, this is one hell of a place. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. When the Apostle Paul in this passage articulates this, he's saying, remind, you got three battlefronts. And the hyphenated lines there on this triangle diagram, because most of our teaching, and rightfully so, is to address that which is above the waterline. But we're going below the waterline here for a moment. Could it be that some of the voices you're listening to, could it be some of the voices your friends are listening to, could it be some of the emotional disturbance and even physical problems that are going on in your life or around you are not in the first two areas but are below the waterline in their direct attacks of the enemy. Just a couple, three chapters later in Ephesians, you hear these words from Paul. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? Uh, the the uh, news channels. The educational systems of your day. No. That you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood as we see it. Looking behind the eyes, our struggle is against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I don't know what your worldview is today. I operate by a biblical worldview, and a biblical worldview has both the seen and the unseen. And it's operating simultaneously. Now, not everything's of the devil. A demon didn't cause everything to happen. Sinful nature, brokenness in our world. But there is a spiritual realm of which you and I live in every day. And our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I like how Gregory Boyd put it in a book actually entitled God at War. It's a great book if you want to read it. The problem of evil that New Testament authors grapple with was simply the problem of overcoming it. The problem of evil we Westerners usually grapple with is the problem of intellectually understanding what we unfortunately rarely seek to overcome. You know what I'm saying? We think we're so enlightened in our day, 2021. Let's go back to the first century. Those people were so ignorant. No, actually those people were probably more attuned to things of ultimate reality than we are today. We live in a naturalistic world, which means if you don't see it, it's not real, right? It's interesting for me to see everybody sort of start to get intrigued by the possibility of UFOs. Well, maybe that's not a weird thing. Maybe there are people from other planets or beings. I have no idea on that, guys. That's a whole different subject to talk about. But I do know there's a spiritual realm, 
And maybe things come into focus from a spiritual realm of something. I don't know. But wow, so we're opening up that there might be something more than our little terrestrial ball called earth. Well, why don't we just pull back the curtains of heaven and realize there's a spiritual realm that we're a part of. And in the New Testament, they didn't even question if there was an evil spiritual realm. They'd be sitting there today and go, would you get on with it, Carrie? Let's talk about how we overcome. How we overcome. And how we overcome is by the word of our testimony and by the finished work of Jesus Christ. I want you to overcome the work of the adversary in your life, your family, and your friends today. Call it out. The difference between prayer and spiritual warfare is prayer is interceding to God. Spiritual warfare is taking the authority you have in Jesus. We don't have time to go there today, but your authority is a believer and rebuking the adversary and praying protection over somebody's life. And when John says to test the spirits to see if they're from God, what he's asking them to do is to have discernment and to overcome. Boyd further says this, demons are restless. Like one traveling in a desert without water until they locate a house, whether this be a person, a region, a nation, or a generation. Having abandoned their own home by rebelling against their creator, and you can read it in Jude 6. Actually, all of Jude was interesting. I reread it this week. These spiritual parasites perpetually seek to make another being their host. Unclean spirits are not scary, they're entities. You shouldn't mess with them outside of Christ, but they are running scared. They don't like to be disembodied, so they seek embodiment. Jesus, when he was casting the demons out of the man from the Gerasenes, they cried out, we know who you are, that kind of thing, and don't do us, don't throw us out in arid places, so he cast them into the pigs. The pigs then ran over a cliff into the water, and they all drowned. I think Jesus was just having fun that day. This is the worldview that exists, whether it's a part of your worldview or not. I would just ask you to do this. Search the scriptures, read through the book of Mark, get into the life of Jesus. Be open. Be open to seeing that there's both an unseen and a seen world. And what you see in the seen world is being driven many a times, not just by the sin of people and ignorance. It's being driven by false prophetic spirits. When one is sick, they say, we never say that they are cold-possessed, but rather they possess a cold. In similar manner, a Christian is never demon-possessed, but they can possess demons who afflict their mind, will, emotions, and physical bodies. These unclean spirits are a type of parasite that can be expelled by the authority and power of Jesus. This passage, referencing testing the spirits, is not just something I use on an everyday basis related to what I'm hearing or even as I'm studying or maybe some thoughts that come to my own head from who knows where, but it's the passage I use in a deliverance work. If somebody comes to me and they say, you know, I've gone every single place I can go for help and there's something going on I don't know about, I say, well, if you'd like to have a time of testing, we can do that sometime. Oh, what's that? Well, it's not weird. Don't pull out the cross. Don't pull out the holy water. Don't get weird. We just sit down. We talk through what's going on in their life. And then as we pray over them, we ask that the Holy Spirit 
would search through this individual and bring any unclean demonic spirit to attention. And then in that session, I simply asked the question, did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? Time doesn't tell, and it's probably good I don't in this maybe setting. But how many times in those settings, many a times the test is clean, they're good. Their challenges come from the world, the flesh, other kinds of brokenness in their life, emotional, even uh, physiological, okay? But sometimes, the answer I get back is an adamant no. And that answer is not coming from the person. It's coming from the spirit that's controlling the person. Do you as a believer believe? We walk through a moment as we walk through this time of testing to make sure this is truly true. We step into a deliverance pattern of being able to find out what's there, what are the strongholds. Deliverance is much more of a beautiful work of God's grace, transformation, forgiveness, and healing than anything. And then once we realize that there's no grounds for any of those unclean spirits in whatever area that they're afflicting this person, historically otherwise, then we cast them out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who defeated him at the cross and the power of the resurrection, and they're gone, and the person's freed. Sometimes it's not that clean. Sometimes it's a multiple session kind of deal. Some people still carry and struggle with it because they're double-minded concerning where they're at with Jesus Christ, I believe. But this passage I knew was coming today, and I could have just stayed at the top level, but I believe God wants us as a church to go even deeper. And if you or maybe a friend is ever concerned, is there something more going on? Maybe an unclean spirit that's wreaking havoc in this person. And sometimes you can see it. You can just say, that's not that person. I know that person. I love that person. There was something I became privy to this week in a family situation of some friends of ours that literally is going to blow up the family. And I got mad. I didn't get mad at the person. I got mad at Satan and his workers. Because I know what he's doing. He's putting lies into the mind of the individual that's causing them to walk a direction that's wrong. Get behind me, Satan. You will not continue to destroy that. You've been defeated. And so we need to armor up, as Ephesians 6 would later say. Christians, we are multifaceted people. We have a physical body that will die, but our soul's eternal. Our spirit is. We have minds, will, and emotions that can be afflicted, and surely as a Christian can have cancer, which not as God, so also a Christian can be afflicted with unclean, fallen, demonic spirits. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the vantage point, the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. John's referencing the voices of the age, the false prophecies that are out there. We are of the truth, not in an arrogant way, but in a centered way on ultimate reality. They are of the world. They are lies of the adversary. Let's stand on the side that we know. They may not listen to you because you stand with God. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood.
I didn't quite know how to close with this, but I think that it's important. to be balanced in the perspective of this, but probably some of the balancing we need is back in the direction of understanding that we live in a spiritual world and not just a material world. One of the individuals I had the opportunity to do deliverance work work with early in my life was actually a man training for the ministry. We were having a very difficult time getting through in this deliverance session to find out the kingpin because demons come in multiple numbers and how do we find this freedom for this person. So there was a group of us, young men actually, praying over the individual and saying, in the name of Christ, you have no grounds to be there, you need to leave, and, and several left. But there was this kingpin that would not leave. And, and finally, I, I just said, and you don't need to be talking to demonic spirits. The person doesn't go into some comatose, distorted state. They're just like, oh, this is what's coming to my mind. This is my thought. Sometimes if they're involved in the occult or otherwise, they go into an unconscious state. But this individual, they were just able to articulate the voices that are in his head and his mind. And so I'm speaking. I said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, will you not leave? Why will you not leave this person? And the unclean spirit spoke back quite clearly and just simply said, because they were chosen in their mother's womb to be a minister of God, and if we leave them, they'll do damage to Satan's kingdom. Oh. Really? And demons can lie. But that was truth. This individual had been chosen in his mother's womb. So to be a ministering agent of God, and he was hanging on because he knew if this person broke through into freedom, that this person would do damage to Satan's kingdom. Friends, God is at war. You and I are at war. We need to seek the freedom of Christ in our life. Seek it with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Be ye holy as I am holy is not something to kill your joy and your fun. It's to enable you to walk in power and authority in your life. You walk in obedience to Him. He gives you protection. Sometimes things come from our history, ancestry, that we're not even mindful of, that have caused corrosion and difficulties. Jesus is here to give the power and the authority for freedom. Freedom through the repentance and forgiveness of sins. Freedom through the filling of the Holy Spirit. But also freedom from strongholds, we call them, that entangle people from history past and bring about destruction in present days. If you have interest, I am more than glad to share with you more. When we have prayer time circled up over here, I'm very mindful of the people that are praying that are believing in the authority of Jesus. And just to pray the authority of Jesus and belief over your name. If you have a, what you might perceive as a stronghold, or maybe it's just an area of, uh, of brokenness in your own life you need healing from. I know we got prayer requests for other people, family members, all kinds of things from health to finances. All those are legitimate prayer requests to ask prayer for with someone after service. But if you are under bondage and you've not found your way to freedom, don't hesitate to ask, and let's go deeper in this. What voice of falsehood and lies are you listening to that needs to be put to the test? 
Maybe it's just in the natural conversational realm. What is truth? Maybe it's some voice in your head that says you're a loser. You're never going to make it. You're not worthy. Where does that come from? I'm not saying you have a demonic spirit internally, but I tell you what, externally, you do have a battle. Our fight's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and spiritual forces of evil in high places. Will you stand with me? You've been very good. You've been very attentive. Part of me would like to break and come back and have an open session of Q&A. Because I don't want things to be misunderstood. And I know I may encode something, but you decode it a different way. We are on this journey as a church. The awakening church will not hold back from ministering powerfully in today's world. The scriptures say the gates of hell will not prevail. Do you know what that image is? That's not a retreating image. The gates were on the city walls to protect. And if there's a stronghold inside, we will pursue. But we're not going to pursue with water pistols. We pursue with the full power and the authority of the Lord. For your tithes and offerings this morning, I'm just going to ask that you drop those in the offering baskets or your connect cards on your way out. Especially if you've got concerns, questions, want to get baptized, want to be part of newcomers. But today, I just feel we need to close with a doxology. This doxology comes from the book of Jude. Read through that, and then we're going to declare it out loud. We often close with a benediction. A benediction is a word of blessing in your life. A doxology is actually an act of praise. In all the deliverance work that I've done, I found that the most critical thing is to be in a spirit of praise and victory when we impose the authority of Jesus Christ. I remember once I was in a session and we weren't getting to where much and I asked the individual what's going on. I said, well, I don't know what you're doing, Carrie's not worth much, but uh, what that guy's doing over in the corner who's praying for me is. I'd started to got in the flesh, like I'm gonna see this happen. The guy in the corner was just worshiping Jesus and loving on this individual. In the spirit realm, that was more powerful, the love and the praise, than the guy leading the session who was starting to operate in the flesh. Your praise is critical to your freedom this week. I want you to gather praise and live in victory. Let's declare this as we go as our prayer but also as our praise. And I don't want wimpy little voices, okay? I want you like you're staring Satan in the eyes and declare this to him. Ready? 
to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forever. Amen. God bless. Have a great week.